There are in history what you could call plastic hours. Plastic hours. Namely, crucial moments when it's possible to act. And if you move then, something happens. No, they're not my words. Those are the words of philosopher and scholar Gershom Scholem, who was born to Jewish parents in Berlin in 1897. He came of age in a century riven by conflict and anti-Semitism. Yet, he believed in hope and our capacity for collective change during the plastic hours. These are born in periods of what Sholem called volatile flux. And I've no need to tell you that we're right in the middle of that now. And as painful, truly painful as those current events are, what the plastic hours do is create a unique opportunity for true change. Because we've been forced to slow down. Stop hurling forward with no thought of the bigger picture and what we're doing with our own lives as well as the planet. But there is a new movement building. More and more understanding that their role is about protecting our people and planet as well as making a nice profit. And here's the thing, the exciting thing, more established ones are catching up too, resetting their moral compass in a way we just would not have seen five years ago. In the wake of those awful riots on Capitol Hill by Trump supporters, banks, insurers, and even an international hotel chain pulled their political funding. Now listen, that's not normally golf courses and banks where revolution starts. But even those most conservative businesses are recognising they have to do something because the world is changing and they need to play their part in the greater whole. And so are we. We've taken to the streets in record numbers over the years to protest. Black Lives Matter, Me Too, environmental causes. And we're increasingly restless with the status quo. And businesses are now having to respond and put their money where their mouth is. And there's nothing wrong with making money. I talk about this all the time. I like making money. It's just that the old way of doing things, from wasting natural resources, massive bonuses for people at the top, who even get massive bonuses when they get sacked for not delivering. Good God, what sort of world have we become? And low wages at the other end. This complete polarisation of wealth is increasingly and utterly unacceptable. And if companies do the right thing, and then we buy in to their values, together, together we create true and meaningful change. Now is the time to use the plastic hours. The plastic hours. I'm Mary Portas. This is The Kindness Economy. And we'll be back after this message. The Kindness Economy podcast is supported by BT and its small business support scheme. And guess who's back again? Yes, it's Pete. Pete, come on, tell me one other thing that BT is doing to support the kindness economy. Well, Mary, one of the big things we've been doing is helping businesses get faster connections. So since the pandemic began, we've actually subsidised ultra-fast connections for small businesses, and we've invested 
uh, around three million pounds in that so far. We've also put together packages for small businesses that combine digital phone lines, fast broadband and unlimited mobile, which is helping them keep connected no matter where they're working. And obviously that's changing for, for people a lot at the moment with, with, with the changing uh, parameters around lockdowns. And so it's really all about helping people get connected. And we've been putting some of BT's money into that to help small business owners. Oh, nice one. Is that BT's line, keeping connected? What did it used to be? Oh, there we are. <laughs> It's good to talk. Yes. Now it's good to be connected. Oh, we're moving on. Actually, <laughs> no, listen, I think this is vitally important. Thanks for that. So small businesses, you can find out more about the support and offer from BT. Go there, visit bt.com forward slash small business support. So coming up on today's show, I'm going to be talking everything lush. (laughs) Yes, of course, it's that great business founded by Mark Constantine. But before I go on to that, who's down the Zoom blower? (laughs) Hey, Mary, it's Grace, your Senior Art Director at Portis. Hiya, Grace. How are you doing? Good, good, Mary. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I hear you've been senior art directing on some shoots. But when, when you're doing that, are you all in masks and all the models in masks? How do you do it? Yeah, we all we all have masks on and everyone stays as far away as we kind of possibly can. And the rule that uh, the producers tell us is act like everyone has COVID. So we all kind of try to stay um, far away from each other. But, you know, Zoom and technology and things like that make it a lot easier for us. It just feels almost normal again. Whatever normal will ever be. So, Grace, what have you seen? What's inspired you? Tell me what you've seen with the kindness economy in action this week. Um, I've loved this little piece from Co-op who have begun to roll out a scheme where their drivers wear a badge saying, I've got time to chat written on it. So it's to help support the local community who might be feeling lonely or isolated and give them an opportunity to have a little friendly chat and brighten their day uh, chatting to the delivery drivers, which I thought was just a gorgeous, uh, cheap to execute little initiative. Oh, I love that. I love that. You know, because you think, I mean, I quite frankly, am one of those people that try not to chat to many people because I've got so many family as you know but I was even talking about this the other day thinking about imagine if you are on your own and especially if you're elderly how lovely Mm. just having that little happy face at your door with the badge I do like the co-op. I think they've been doing a lot of good things. Well done, co-op. Anything else? Uh, Yeah, Dottie. Uh, So they're an interesting little business model uh, that are acting as both a marketplace to buy and sell pre-loved children's clothes, as well as offering a circular system. So parents can order a kind of empty bag and then fill it up at home with old kids stuff, which doesn't fit anymore, or might be kind of uh, not in a state that's wearable. And then that can be uh, donated and recycled. So it's uh, reducing the impact on landfill and offering um, a new life for clothes. Do you know what? Why hasn't anyone done that before? I know. Kids, right? I grew up with hand-me-downs. I never had anything new. And I loved that just the same. And I remember when I had my kids, I loved passing on the clothes to other people. Yeah. And then I suddenly noticed that everybody's slightly going, mm, thank you, but sort of no. And we are talking 20-odd years ago. <laughs> and I realised it's because they wanted new. But we are going all around in that circle again. And people are realising we need to do this. Yeah. And kids' stuff, you just 
just did a wash. I mean, yeah. nothing pooped in it. You know? <laughs> yeah. And even then, all goody goody. Yeah. What's that called? Dotty? Is that English? Dotty. D O T T E. I'm not sure if they're British or not, actually. It's a good question. Oh, D O T T E. Yeah. Oh, God, that's so easy. I mean, can you imagine all the kids just keep recycling? I, I love putting, you know, secondhand on, especially on my mm, kids. Mm, mm. I love those ideas, Grace. we got to keep spreading <laughs> the love. Spread it while you're on the shoot. Be safe. And it's been gorgeous talking to you again, my darling. Thanks. Bye. Bye for now. The word journey is so often overused, but in Mark Constantine's case, I'd say it is spot on. His father left the family when he was two, and by 16, he'd experienced family breakdown and bereavement. Leaving home with nowhere to go, he lived between his friend's sofa and a bivouac he'd built for himself. Keen to become a theatrical makeup artist, Mark couldn't get a break, and instead he trained as a hairdresser. He wasn't great at that, but it did spark a passion for making herbal products, which caught the attention of body shop founder Anita Roddick. As the body shop exploded, the products made by Mark, his wife Mo, and their business partner, they became bestsellers. And after the body shop bought the rights to them, Mark set up a new cosmetics venture with his partners, and they experimented with their most creative ideas, including using natural ingredients to develop things like bath bombs and solid shampoo bars. Maybe you heard of those? And they campaigned on issues close to their hearts like animal testing. But after blazing through the body shop money, the business folded in just six years. Mark, however, got back up, took lessons and started again. And with the help once more of his wife Mo and four friends, they stuck to that philosophy natural ingredients, they stripped back the packaging and they didn't waste money on big shop fits. It was high quality, but pared back. Honest, this new venture was called Lush. I think you know the rest. Lush has now more than 900 stores worldwide and has spent decades carving ground that others are only now just catching up on. From campaigning on human and animal rights to innovative employment practices, Lush fully embodies its founders' beliefs. It works to an ethical charter, is co-owned by employees who get a say in all the key decisions, and it's taken knocks to its bottom line in order to introduce initiatives like the living wage. Mark Constantine is what you might call a catalyst with a conscience. He once said, you should tell your customers what you believe in, and if they don't agree, well, they shouldn't shop with you. And if they do agree, they should shop with you. It's quite simple, really, isn't it? Let's go back now to the moment when Mark is working as a hairdresser in London and he's about to spot an advert in a magazine called Honey by someone called Anita Roddick. I worked in central London in... Um in the ginger group of hairdressers in Knightsbridge and in for Elizabeth Arden in Bond Street, just for short periods of time. And this gave me a lovely background, you know, because I was I was shampooing Lauren Bacall or, or, or um, I don't know, uh, Jackie Kennedy or something, you know, all sorts of exciting people. So there was a lot of that going on. It was 1972, 1973, so there was a lot of drugs and a lot of 
Um, Mark Bolan were coming to have his makeup done. It was all very special. Oh, my special. God, he was my ultimate. I had a little poster of Mark Bolan in his pink satin oh, shirt on my wall. Well, he, used to, he had oh. a thing for Pierre Laroche. He was the makeup artist in, in uh, Elizabeth Arden at that time. And him and Bo used to come in and they... I mean, they disappear in the room. One assumed they were just taking drugs. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Having their makeup what, done, of course. That's mainly what they were doing. I think they were either recovering or or, uh, or, or starting. Uh, anyway, I had the technical expertise. And then I met, um, in, I, I burnt out in London, came down here to Paul. And then I met Liz Weir, who was as obsessed with beauty as I was with hair. And so we would have endless conversations and formed a company. Uh, where we left the hairdressers and we set up a little what we called a herbal hair and beauty clinic um, and uh, and we made absolutely no money and were starving to death and very cold so that was the that was the base from there I then wanted to make products for other people because I had to make a living and I spotted a little piece about Anita's shop one shop in Brighton in Honey magazine uh, and then I phoned her, but I didn't have a phone, so we had to go out into the phone box right at the front there. Beautiful. Uh, and put all the tuppences in or whatever they were at that yep. time. And she didn't have, because she didn't trust herself with a proper phone in the shop, she had a pay phone as well. So between <laughs> us, you know, it was lots of, of back and forth. And then I went to see her. And the lovely thing about Anita, I'm so charismatic, her and her husband, Gordon, such a great saleswoman and, and a great sense of what would work and what wouldn't work, you know. I don't know if you had a great influence in your life, but it's nothing more irritating than have to keep giving them credit for what you are. No, it's not. You know that you enjoy giving it. You know you're not you're not irritated by that. And actually, um I was lucky enough she rang me once. I was doing some some work at Harvey Nichols, which was quite out there and um, she rang me just to say bravo she liked yeah she did it was a lovely conversation I was like someone said oh I need to Roddick's on the phone for you to say she just said I'm loving the work you're doing and it was just wonderful and she was very kind to me I mean she knew I had I mean I was making the product in the most basic way in the most basic circumstances she came over to see she was such a curious person so fast uh, she opened cupboards I didn't want opened. She, you know, I mean, she was just into everything. So, but you, you effectively were making most of her product. Well, she had no, te- you know, I mean, bear in mind, she, she. I see myself as a technical entrepreneur. I see her as a true entrepreneur. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know that it would have made a difference for her what she was. She, she had no real love of, of cosmetics or anything if, if, her biggest burning thing was human rights really she had a great love of people and she, and you know you know i mean this was always the big secret at the time was that she'd seen the body shop in san francisco exactly as it was uh had only really intended to open the one shop in brighton had you know had nicked some of the ideas you know it wasn't she had a burning desire to make product or do all that side of things whereas for me I'm a technical entrepreneur. I love my business. I'm only, I'm the tailor in a way to her, Paul Smith, if you like. There's two things that strike me there. There was 
the huge human rights activist that Anita was, and yet she found a vehicle through the business for that to become an expression of what she deeply believed. And of course, there was you as a, a, a real environmentalist with environmental yes. rights. So let's look at the, and you yeah. used your business as a vehicle or whatever way, I, I might be presuming this, but it seems, it strikes it to me, to get that message across and create something that was not only commercial well, well, in both senses, yeah. but actually gave jobs to people, created businesses and brands that resonated and did good. We're talking about here in the early 70s. And here we are in, you know, 2021, where we know this is only the way to do business in the future if we want humanity and our planet, if we want people and the planet, the two most important things. To, to be well. But Mary, yes, we were pioneers, but people say now, uh, cool, you, you guessed this vegan surge early, didn't you, Mark? You got in on there. I've been serving vegans for years, you know, I mean, and they're not the most friendly customers, but that was part of what we believed in. But now what's so wonderful is that it, we've joined together. You see, let me give you an example. In Britain today, 1% of our countryside is looked after by uh, nature reserves and the, the other 99% isn't. And some of it obviously we're building houses on and living in and some of it we're growing our, our, our food and some of it is just not doing anything. But how did we lose control over all of that lovely countryside that isn't being looked after by a nature reserve? How did we allow everything to get so out of hand? But what's actually happening now, you know, as things are changing in agriculture and as things are changing with nature, is that's coming back together. And it's the same thing with us in commerce. If you look at your main business, the rag trade, that has been so out of order, hasn't it? so so out of order you know at the time they're having all the garments made for a fortnance in some do you know what i mean well at the worst possible thought you know in some camp somewhere or something like that that is now coming to a point where that's not sustainable and not sensible and will upset people's profits and will upset the reality of their commercial enterprise and that's why it's such an exciting time now, because the 99% are coming back to join us in the 1%. And that's what's so exciting, because that, that's the way forward, you know. I, it is, I remember so vividly um, when all, you know, the supply chain went offshore and people were chasing cheaper, 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 and it was yeah. so clever to do so. And I watched... But Marks and Spencers, to me, you see, Marks and yeah. Spencers, yes. what, you know, that was their single strength. Shame it, on you, is what I want to yeah. say. And you know what? <laughs> anyone to say to me, no, I don't care. Shame on you, M&S, because that was your single strength. And this is when you get these corporations where there's boards of people making decisions and you don't have a visionary at the top. I, I believe in that, number one, and I'm going to come back to you on that, because I believe that they will be looking at the data, looking at the numbers and going, this is going to make sense to us to go offshore. If I was redoing Marks and Spencer, I'd bring every bit of manufacturing back to the UK and proudly made in British and, and shorten the supply yeah. chain. And what a heart and what a love we'd all have for that brand because we would want it to succeed. Sadly, when you listen to the business programmes that say Marks and Spencer's, you know, their growth is down. Nobody looks at what 
the jobs that are affected that we lose with this, they're shrinking their business. Nobody looks at the well-being of a business anymore. They just look at profit as the only tenet of success, which is, I believe, we're going to be shifting. But there's so many questions on how we make that shift and we look at the well-being. I, I, disagree, with, I disagree with you. I think that we have, we, we as a society, focus far too much on the person at the top. I think that it's important I provide leadership where I'm here, but obviously it's important the leadership is provided if I wasn't here. But the real key is who you employ. What, what I meant is as a vision, the culture of the business. The no. vision and the culture of my business is provided by the people within it. And I am... Because you let them. I've got... You can't... No, if you're running Marks and Spencers, how busy would you have to be to control the thousands of people? I, I had a little joke with um, John Lewis guy in a marketing meeting thing an audience where he asked me how we chose our employees and I said well I know you have a very strict um I tried to join uh, John Lewis years ago when I was in London you had to pee on a stick and everything you know it was just a nightmare and Marks and Spencer did they turn you down did they yeah, turn you down I didn't want to pee I got on the... turned down by yeah. Marks and Spencer's it's yeah. the same well yeah. and if you'd have had a beard, beard you wouldn't have been able to work Marks and Spencer's so I just explained you have a tough uh, recruitment process where people have to pay Marks and Spencer's the same and I have the rest but the rest are great it's the people who did choose to have tattoos and dye their hair a strange colour um, who have very strong views. I don't have very strong views. You know, I'm what my colleagues here call me, call a fish and chip grit. I eat fish, um, uh, but I've been a veggie or eating fish all my life, but they still call me a fish and chip grit. Uh, but whereas I work with vegans a lot of the time, um, and, uh, and what other people would see as extremists. I don't see them as extreme. And this is where the kindness principle comes in, okay? People who care so much are fiercely kind. You know, I, it's a weird combo, fiercely and combined. But no, it's not. I agree with you. Yeah, they're fiercely kind. They, they're compassionate. You know, I've got a colleague, Hillary, who I can call in a minute if I had an injured bird in the garden. She'd come and sort it out. But she's also the ethics director uh, of the company. Do you know what I mean? So it's, but there is, a shared, there is a shared belief system there, Mark. That's what it is. That, that is what I'm hearing well, I from, share from the, you. I, but what I'm you trying to explain is I share their I get that. I share their beliefs. But I, what I'm saying, and I truly believe, what I'm saying is when you look at businesses like a Marks and Spencer's, not just them, not just them. I'm, I'm being, I don't mean to be unfair to them. You know that Stuart Rose has the entrepreneur's wound. Of course he does. I've, oh yes, I've many a time I've chatted to Stuart. Yes, 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 I do know he has it. But Stuart, Stuart actually was one of those visionaries who, who brought people with him because with a shared vision. I, I, and that's what I'm getting to here is that often in business... There's these corporations that are set up and it's very difficult to make decisions that are based on a true shared belief when the only thing that you're going after is profit. Because let's go back to this. If you really believe that great business is either in your case doing something for the environment or humanity or simply giving people a sense of purpose to work have a job, we would not have closed down those factories and seen communities 
crumble. We wouldn't have done it. You would not have done it. And here's the thing. Look where they are today. Well, yes, but then look where we might be tomorrow. It's not, you know, we're talking fashion and we're talking change. You know, I mean, I've been through about five green waves uh, where everyone, you know, gives it a bit of lip service and shoves off again. Uh, Yes, of course. but But that's okay. Everything we can do, we should do. I think, I suppose what I'm getting to is I don't think people do this thinking uh, that this is just a short-term thing to do. I think what happens is that we've all been misguided under the sway of bad ideas in business for a long time. But I think we've been incentivized by that as well and and sometimes we've just not known and now we're looking at it. I think you're looking at your own experience and wondering what the fuck happened. Excuse my French. I don't I think. Of course what? I am. Of course. Yeah. So well, I aren't don't... you? Of course. And I'm, well, of course I am. What the what the fuck happened? How did so, we get it so wrong? Yes. Well, no, you didn't get it wrong. You had to make a living, and and that was the way to make a living in your industry at that time. What are you supposed to to do? You know, how are you supposed to suddenly change it? I mean, Anita Roddick and Gordon Roddick as a combo were bloody bonkers. It was so fast and so stressful. You know, I mean, I've had various stressful periods in my life, but Anita was certainly a stress carrier. I used to think she was going to have a breakdown all the time, then I realised, no, it's going to be me. <laughs> it's not going to be Anita. Yeah? Yeah, and no, yet, but they were yeah. bonkers. But here's the thing. OK, let's keep on the bonkers thing, right? Let, let's talk about this. You know, I, I, I'm trying here now to, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book looking at this, this new economy that I believe is coming through. I think this next generation, our kids' generation, what's happened to the planet, the way we're living, it's all up. We know, we know things have to change. Let's look at it in, in the simplistic way that we just know, and you're right, if we don't, we are completely and utterly fucked. We are. So we've got to. And it's not only sensible in the way that it's the right thing to do, which makes me deeply happy, it's also the commercial thing to do. I do yes. it, it is. So... Here's the thing, how do we get that balance that those people making those differences and aren't all seen as the bonkers ones? Because I remember when when L'Oreal bought out, you know, Anita's business, which I thought was also, I was quite shocked at at the time, because they were simply the same sort of resonance on the values. But it seemed that, you know, often I heard people talking about, oh, she's a bit bonkers, and she was slightly moved to the side of it, when you just thought, no, that bonkers was an incredible entrepreneur and an incredible visionary. And I suppose how... Well, she knew she was ill. Did she? And Gordon said to me, Mark, the difference between us and you is that you build a team and we didn't have a team. So if you don't have a team and your children are not interested, uh, where are you going to go? And on top of that, they found, I think she found it a a great challenge. So, I mean, it's taken me a long time to reach all those conclusions, but she knew she was ill and we didn't know how ill. Yeah, because she died shortly afterwards. So um, once you know that, then then that changes everything, doesn't it? Of course it does. I suppose that's how we should be looking at everything. You know, what would what what would I leave? You know, if this if it all stopped tomorrow, what am I leaving behind? Well, I think I do think that um, once you start worrying about legacy, you're right up your own bottom. Uh, I, I, you know, 
businesses are they supposed to last more than a, a generation or two um some of them don't even last that but it doesn't mean they're not inspiring mm. i was thinking about yourself and i was thinking about what retail influences you had barbara halanuki did she influence you yes at all? she did i mean i i think interestingly my my influence was not necessarily from um i was a bit like you i i, I sort of fell into this you know in, in some ways and my influence was often from poetry and writers, um, oh, wow. yes, and and I brought that into my work, and it was the creative spirit and energy that always interested me. I remember one of the first things I ever did when I moved into Harvey Nicks is the Royal Court was trying to raise money, the theatre down the road, and and I thought, how can I help them? How can we create this community of businesses? I did never saw business and retail as about just fashion. I saw it as about how do we create joy here? The, there was um, one of the lessons I had in in giving, in, in philanthropic giving, was that um, one of the people whose hair I washed was Mrs. Blonde. And Mrs. Blonde was a Marks and Spencer's heir, and she was a patron of the Royal Court. Um, and she used to bring me tickets to the Royal Court and give them to me. And I thought they were just her, like, you know, being a patron, she got 10 tickets and she gave me a ticket or two. She gave me one for me, one for my wife. And uh, anyway, I went to change them once and the, the guy said, you know, Mrs. Blonde buys you those tickets, do you? No. Um, and attacked so vigorously by um, John Osborne, he called her the worst woman he'd ever met. And yet she was his patron and she continued to be his patron, irrespective of how much scorn he poured on her. Um, and I thought that was pretty wonderful. Now I look back on it. Do you know what I mean? I thought, well, yes. look at that. That she would, she was a patron of the arts, and whatever the arts wanted to say, she would put on in the royal court, irrespective of whether they were her thoughts or even damaged her or upset her. How lovely! But I think, I mean, I'm even looking at you with your little soaps written behind you, and and the way <laughs> that you do it. But the, but that creativity, that that language, that expression, to me, was always such a part of the joy that I got more than anything in retail, rather than actually the selling. The selling became a a byproduct. It naturally happened and evolved. And I think that's the same with what happened with you. And I look at looked at Anita's shops, and you just felt this joy, this energy, this place where you wanted to be and hang. And oh, desperately, wasn't it? Desperately, where, desperately what, wanted to be. <laughs> you so wanted to be there. And the byproduct, and it's a, it's like a great hair salon. I would yeah. imagine there's people they're flowing in and out. And when people say to me today, technology or the government are saying, well, you know, the high streets dead technology is taking over you just think you're forgetting we're human yeah. togetherness connected interconnected it's just so powerful and, and for me i mean i i try to avoid a lot of people want to ask me what do i see the future of the high street and well first of all i don't think it's down to individual visionaries i think the future of the high street is really really exciting so do i um yeah because all that that really boring old crap is falling away yes. <laughs> even next is having to shift us i mean it's great i know and i know I, oh my god I, I i've written about this in the ft the <laughs> mediocrity those big i called them the organizations that were just very good on really really good on operations and systems and rolling out and getting product to us how fast how cheap and how quickly and they're falling away well we went through that period didn't we where where say george davis who was inspired 
was transplanted by accountants. And, and, those, uh, and that was a fashion in, in business to take the entrepreneur and move him out of the way and replace him with, uh, with mandarins of some sort or another. But that's the point, and that's the point that I'm talking about in in business with you. And, I, yeah, and I'm okay. sorry, I, I know you're I know you're saying that you're um, you're avuncular in the way that you do business. Of course you are. You're you're a spirit. You're an energy. You're a vision. You're a wonderful human being, and I can I can feel that from you. And it's, no, <laughs> not I every, do. Not everyone thinks that. Well, I'm sure you can be a bastard with a. T- I can no, be. Like sometimes that. you're I, nippy, I, but but it doesn't mean that your soul isn't. I supported in the, the uh, local police commissioner because he's a nice bloke. Uh, and he went round to petition uh, for votes, and uh, he went in one particular shop. Uh, the man said, "Well, you can get out." He said, "I hope you and Mark Constantine burn in hell." Oh God! Yeah, and uh, and he was the master of the hounds. He was a huntsman. There you go. He, there he, did, you go. he didn't like me, Mary. He didn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, let me ask you some questions because, uh, you know, this this ethics and trying to create businesses and, and you know, this is what I'm, I'm, you know, advising businesses on, trying to get to a place where we actually are doing good for the world and also for their business. And most people want to make profit because profit gives you the ability I, to I employ. like making profit. I know you do. And so do I. I like I like having money, but I like to go to bed. No, I like making profit. I don't mind. No. Yeah. So, so, so answer me on this. So do you think, I'm sure you've had some nice thinking of it, do you think that we will be able to create more businesses in the future that can make profit and do good in the world, that, have, that create social progress as well as financial progress? I think, yeah, I, I, one, there's a couple of words that are important here. Uh, we use the word regeneration a lot, um, but I don't think we fully understand what we mean. And by regeneration, it's recreating a dynamic environment, Re- greening the desert, for example, replacing sterile areas with, with fecund and, and lush places. Uh, so it's, I think that's the key word, regeneration, because it's easy to say, well, this is sustainable. Yeah, but it wasn't right in the first place. You don't want to sustain that. You know, for us, it would be Marks and Spencer's or whatever. But, uh, you know, the regeneration and the vigour. And again, I don't think you can leave that necessarily to government or to local government. I think that's the more that that's... Um, vital and vibrant the more exciting the opportunities to make profit become talk me through then how that would work then uh, recreating a dynamic environment talk, talk me through what you think that that's exciting but how does it then well it can vary at any point it can be so for example we buy salt yep. from a, a series of um bird reserves that are on the migration corridors uh because quite a lot of migratory birds use salt pans as their migratory route. Uh, now that isn't necessarily financially vibrant, but to be honest, salt isn't a very expensive item. So if salt's 2p more a kilo, do you know what I mean, than the 4p it probably is to start with, it's not a big deal. So it's just that wish to, to sort it out and then doing that, or, or exactly the opposite end for me, lots of, of areas where essential oils are grown and produced, the people don't actually produce it themselves. And there's an awful lot of people in France who process everything and make all the money. So Somaliland, for example, where they produce um, um, 
incense, frankincense, they don't make much money out of that. And yet it's a hugely expensive item. But if we can get the production there and they can get into the, and, re, and they start to regenerate the forests that produce the, the frankincense, you know what I mean? The whole, the money stays there and it becomes, so that's what I mean uh, at a, uh, at a raw material point. And then when it comes to say our high streets or you know, shopping malls have perhaps not been the most best way of going. But if you can get, well, you think of Penzance and artist groups or poets, or if you can start to bring all those people in um, and get that whole feeling going. I mean, I loved it when you said you were into poetry. I am fiercely into poetry. Famously, I read a poem to my wife every morning for at least a decade before she kindly said to me, I'm not really into poetry. Oh, Mark, come <laughs> round into my bed, mate, because I do that. I'm doing Mary Oliver at the moment. But, you know, I've oh, yeah. just looked in front of me and um, one of my my favourite um, musicians oh, yes. is Van. And, and what a poet Van is, you know, Morrison. And I just sometimes, and I've been reading Frank O'Hara, it just takes me to another place. It just takes me and it takes me out of us getting bogged down and my mind getting into... Um, just into structures that I think have been imposed on us. When, when you when you talked about poetry, the the obviously I'm quite I think I'm quite well known. I did a BBC program on it. Um, I'm a hippie, so I obviously I like Gibran and I like the Prophet, and the and in the Prophet, which is a huge poem, he he describes bringing in uh, when when he, when they talk about buying and selling, he talks about bringing in the musicians and bringing in. Um, the the artists because they you know they add to everything and that's what I've tried to do in our business I I brought in musicians I brought in not so many poets but certainly artists and tried to make sure that that flows through the business so there are things like that where you can take inspiration from a poem or a poet bring that into your life and then find it very successful and make and make money and make money doing it I I, I agree and I think there's a couple of questions I'm going to ask of that because. That's how I do, or often I will, t yes, find a piece of work that just speaks to me and I'll share it with my team. And it's wonderful. And, and they will do vice versa. I got a beautiful one from my um, CSO on, when I came back to work. And I was like, how gorgeous. And she just sent me this wonderful piece. I will read it to you because I think, um, why not? Let me see what she said. And I thought, she just said, just to start the new year with Happy New Year. It's Proust. An hour is not an hour, it's a vase filled with scents, sounds, projects and climates. What we call reality is a certain relationship between these sensations and these memories which simultaneously surround us. So, so my question to you is, how do we get that vision that you talk about, understanding regeneration and putting that at the centre of your business? How, how would you advise big businesses to do that who currently aren't how do we break through that management infrastructure to say this is so vital well if i go back to Gib if i go back to gibran <coughs> he talks about reason being the rudder on your boat and passion fill it being the wind that fills your your sails and what you're really complaining about what we're complaining about with these companies is they're all reason yes. and no passion say that again reason is the rudder on your boat and passion is the wind that fills your sails. Beautiful. Yeah? And if you only have the wind, obviously you go on the rocks and you've had it. I, I found that, <laughs> I must admit, of all the Gibran stuff that I, I use, that one is probably the most helpful when I'm being a dick. 
<laughs> Being a dick, did you say? Well, too much passion, nowhere near enough, uh, nowhere near enough reason. Yeah. It's my problem. My I rem- problem. I remember when I did my high street report, and um, I looked at what the great Jane Jacobs had written in the sixties, and she talked about the death of you know the American city, and um, everyone thought she was bonkers, but she talked about these wonderful things that that just felt so strong to me. Um, was that she said, you know. We pop out to get a loaf of bread and we say hello to a neighbour, or you know, or we get we want to get a newspaper and you notice you you know your neighbour's daughter. You say, "Can you babysit tonight?" And she talked about these things seem trivial. I mean, and to put them into a business analysis looks so trivial. But she said the sum isn't trivial at all. It's a it's a web of infrastructure and social security that we need as humans. And she was so right. So when I was doing my high street report, they used to say to me, "Have you met with Philip Green?" And I'd say. Yes. And, and that was what success was. And, and 10 years ago, when I was talking about this and our connection and this social infrastructure of our needs based and that the two come together, it's, it's, it's not just about business. It's about business and people with the same thing, feeding needs. And they used to say to me, what you talk about reason and passion, you're too emotional. And I remember thinking, I am, I am, I can't do this. I can't do politics. And and I should have just said, no, actually, that's what you need, is that you need emotion. Well, if we go back to Anita, she was yeah. pure passion. We would all provide the reason. So um, it's that balance of the two, and I reason that. And I actually have, you know, um, I enjoy doing the reason side of it, but you know, you know the passion, you know it. It's like a vibration in your body, isn't it? You just know, and that's your soul and your energy. You're, this is the right thing. This is the right thing, and you know it. And over the years, you feel like someone who hasn't had that suppressed, and, and that is a very valuable thing although i did hear you uh, or maybe maybe not suppressible well either so but i did hear you talk about panic attacks that you had oh yes i've had panic attacks all my life yeah yeah not now not now so much no um i heard stephen fry say that you didn't get them after 60 anyway yeah. so i don't know whether i'm just i've just matured um or it's the lemon juice I'm drinking, or what, I don't know. But basically, yes, most of my life, I would have at least one a month. And and did you find what that was related to at all? Yeah, heart attacks, and my grandmother. Exactly, Um, exactly. Yeah, and uh, and just, yeah. Yeah, my little brother had the same, I say little brother, he's in his 50s now, and and it was post my mother's death, and he's, he's started, yeah. Totally, totally. Oh, look at us, Mark. Well, you know what? I can't tell you. There's so much. We could talk on forever and ever and ever. I think it's been just wonderful. And I suppose what I want to ask you is, what do you, do you think that we will see a better future for business in the next five years? Do you think? I I like the dynamic landscape that is business. Mm. What I like is the fact that due to that what we're calling the covid rinse uh, all businesses are having to reevaluate and as they reevaluate so the things that are more important to me for example climate the environment nature uh, are becoming more important to everyone because they know that if they ignore it yes they're not going to be successful yes so I see, I see a vibrant jungle of, of activity with things that we'll be delighted with and things we'll be appalled with. And hopefully we'll be a bit more delighted in the next 10 years than we were in the last. I, I agree with you. Well, it's, been, it's just been wonderful talking to you. And you. Bye-bye. Lots of Bye-bye. love. Bye-bye. 
thank you, the one and only and pretty original Mark Constantine. So, next week, another pretty original dude. He is the co-founder of that wonderful tea brand pucker, Sebastian Pohl. But before I go, I'll leave you a little quote, a little vision from the man's soul. My hope for the future is a world where organic is the norm in food, health and clothing. It's a world where health prevention rather than health emergency is integrated into our very social fibre. A world that is centred in respecting nature and that gives individuals the opportunity to fulfil their potential. That's next week on The Kindness Economy with me, Mary Portas. I'll see you then.